Good morning. Uh, if we can, let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Today we'll be looking at verses 36 in John 13, all the way to chapter 14, verse 4. Uh, if we have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kenson Lamb. I serve as the pastor at Park Community Church, specifically our Bridgeport location. Uh, it's an honor today to be able to have a chance to go into God's Word with you. So, John chapter 13, starting at verse 36. Uh, well, let me start off and read these verses. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Is your heart troubled? Is your heart troubled? You know, in our verses, Jesus shares one last evening with his disciples before his death. Now, in our Bibles, there's a break between chapters, between chapter 13 and 14, but all of this is actually happening in the same moment. This is often called the upper room discourse. And during this time, the disciples are restless. Jesus has just told them that he's about to die. He said that Judas was going to betray him. He also just told Peter in our verses that he was going to deny him three times. So you can only imagine just how defeated and how hopeless the room must have felt. Now, the disciples should have known better because throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus spoke often about how he would die and how he would rise again to give his disciples hope. Yet, for his disciples in this moment, they could not see past this one event. They could not see past his death. And because of that, their hearts were troubled. Some of us today are struggling just like the disciples, that we are having a hard time seeing past this one moment of the COVID-19 virus. Our world is falling apart and our hearts are troubled. You face financial difficulties. You're getting emails and company memos telling you that layoffs are going to happen. It's not, it's not if it's going to happen. It's when it's going to happen. You've been cut down to part-time hours. Some of you are living paycheck to paycheck. Times are getting very desperate for you right now. There are some of you who manage and run businesses, and you're looking at your revenue and your income, and nothing is coming in. And you feel this overwhelming guilt because you have to lay off employees, put them in hard situations. And in addition to this business that you love and worrying that it won't survive. Some of you are students. You spent all year working on these projects. You look forward to being with your friends, graduating. And these forever memories are slowly going away. Others of you have just signed a lease to a brand new place. You've agreed to a new job. The future looks so bright. But now all of it is put on pause. If anything, you might have to go reapply back into the workforce in an impossible job market right now. 
And for some of you, you're essential personnel, like our healthcare professionals, you know, those who work in the government, you know, in the grocery stores, gas stations, providing childcare for our essential workers. You are on the front lines for caring for us, and we are so grateful for you. But every day, you're fearful. Is this the day that I get sick? Or even worse, might I bring this back home to my very own family? For the singles, the loneliness and isolation is bringing doubts of depression and severe anxiety. For our families, your stress is off the charts, that you're having such a hard time keeping up with your kids and meeting all their needs. And some of you are still expected to give hours, nine to five, to your job. There's engaged couples who are supposed to get married this week, and they have had to cancel all their plans. You know, the reason I'm dressed up here today is because right after this message is done, I'll be heading off to do a marriage, a wedding ceremony. And you can imagine, just for this couple, that on this day today, it was supposed to be their dream day. But in many ways, it has become a very slow death in seeing families being unable to come, church closing their doors because of the quarantine and everything else. It's been very, very difficult for many of our engaged couples. You know, and some of us have parents and grandparents in nursing homes, and we haven't been able to see them in weeks and you worry so much for them. You know, all these examples, and there are a long list of examples, are only a handful of stories that I've heard from you, from you sitting at home right now. During the season of the COVID-19 virus, we are all wrestling to some degree with troubled hearts. Now, I want to be careful here because some of us might say, you know, if only I had more faith, I wouldn't have a troubled heart. I wouldn't be so anxious. I wouldn't be so fearful. I wouldn't be so stressed. Now, before you beat yourself up, let me remind you that right before these verses in John 13, 21, as Jesus thinks about his death, it says this. Let me show it to you. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Jesus here is troubled in heart. And remember, Jesus also never sinned. So having a troubled heart can't be sin. In addition, in John 16, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble that this world would have trouble, that we will have trouble in our hearts, that even Jesus in his heart was troubled. So what does it mean when Jesus says in chapter 14, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled? He is telling us not to let trouble remain or abide. That trouble will be something that comes for all of us in this fallen and broken world. And at some point, you've got to take that anxiety and worry and fear and transfer it to the Lord. So the issue is not that trouble lands on your heart. The question is, what will you do with it when it does? You know, for our time today, we're going to learn what it means to give our troubles to Jesus. And let me just show you the, the points that we have here. The three points are this is first that Jesus shows us why our hearts are troubled. And then second, he shows us who he is. And then finally, he shows us where we're going. So first, why are our hearts troubled? It's because we overestimate ourselves. Look at chapter 13, verses 36 to 38 again. It says this, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, 
Why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So Peter here does what he does so often, and he puts his foot right in his mouth, that Jesus, with incredible heartbreak, tells his disciples that he is about to be arrested, he's about to be falsely tried, and he is going to die. And he will resurrect, and he will ascend. But as he says this, he tells them, this journey and where I'm going, you can't follow me. But Peter, with incredible pride, says, why not? Why not? I will die for you. Notice in that statement how Peter esteemed himself. He thought that it was his strength that qualified him to follow Jesus. But Jesus knew better than to trust Peter's intention. Instead, he predicts Peter's denial. And Peter doesn't just sheepishly deny Jesus. Peter goes as far as to say, I don't know, Jesus. May I be cursed if I'm lying. He completely and utterly denies Jesus and he weeps in sorrow afterwards. Many of us are just like Peter. We have way too high an estimation of ourselves, and it leads to troubled hearts. That just like Peter, we look at our strengths, our talents, our youthfulness, our work ethic, and because of those things, we believe that we can handle anything. This is all a delusion. That just like Peter, when it gets too hot or when it gets too costly, we will fall apart. And what this is, is, is what COVID-19 has done to us, is that it has waken us up to this self-deception and brings us to the reality that we are not in control, that we are not strong, that there's a virus out there that is, that is taking lives, crippling the economy, closing businesses, canceling weddings and honeymoons, schools are closed, you know, future aspirations are postponed, and there is absolutely nothing that we can do about it. You and me are not in control. And this is the very root of a troubled heart. We trust way too much in ourselves in these moments. You know, one of my sons... Uh, is delayed in his speech and motor development, and he's been getting therapy. And just two weeks ago, we finally had all the paperwork turned in. We had all our therapists, our A-team of therapists, and the clinic visits all lined up. And this was going to be, be the week where my son was going to get all the help that he needed. And on that very Monday, when the therapists were supposed to come to our house, was also the same day the Illinois Department of Health closed all their services. No more therapy, no more help. My heart is troubled for my son. That every time I see him struggle to say the most basic words, I get sad. I get angry. I feel so helpless. Losing the ability to be useful as a parent makes me feel so vulnerable. In these moments of hardships and trials, I am forced to ask, we are forced to ask, who is going to be in control? Who am I going to trust? And this is God's grace in our helplessness and weakness. He calls you to himself. He calls you to the source of all strength, love, and mercy. The question is this, are you going to him? 
Are you going to him in prayer? Are you seeking him in his word? Are you resting at Christ's feet? In John 15, we are told to abide in Christ. We are told to be abiders. And here's the thing. If we don't abide in Christ, we will abide in something else. Without God, this virus will lead us to panic. That we see our personal wealth and health and livelihood being ruined. That we hear on the news the growing numbers of people sick and dying in our city, country, and world. That how the U.S. now has the greatest number of confirmed, confirmed cases in the world. That Chicago just yesterday had the record number of confirmed cases. That the worst is yet to come. Recently, CNN put out this article. Let me just show it to you. That it says that unemployment is the most in history. Goodness, it's like the media is taking score of how bad everything is. This is all so panic-inducing. Who are you going to turn to? Every time our hearts get troubled, we have to ask ourselves, why? Why am I fearful? Why am I anxious? What am I believing about myself that is causing this? What am I believing about God? What am I choosing not to believe about God? You know, in the Psalms, we see this all the time, that the psalmist is in anguish and he believes that God is against him, that he is frustrated and angry with God. But then later on in that psalm as you're reading, somewhere down the line, he turns the corner and begins to praise God. What happened? This is what we would call preaching the gospel to himself, that he reminds himself of who God is and how strong and powerful he is and how he, the psalmist, needs to submit to that. Troubled hearts come when we trust ourselves more than God. And this leads us to our next points. And Jesus here gives us the remedy. He tells us the gospel that we are to preach to ourselves, the gospel that is to fill our minds and hearts during our troubles. And the first thing he does is that he shows us who he is. You know, look, look at verse 14, verse 1 here. It says this, let, your hearts, let, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You see it right there. The remedy of a troubled heart is to trust in Jesus, believe in God, and believe also in me. Now, we don't have time to get into this, but this is one of the clearest examples of Jesus claiming to be God, that he's not just some other teacher, philosopher, or miracle worker, that he was God in the flesh. And what Jesus does in this moment is very, very important, that he connects all the goodness and faithfulness of God and puts it on himself. That he is saying this right now to people of Jewish background. And he's telling them that I'm worthy of the same trust that you would give to the Father because the two of us are one. So as you look back in the Old Testament and consider the faithfulness of God and how he showed up over and over and over again to save us, apply that truth to me. And what's interesting here is that in the Greek, the word believe is in the imperative, that when Jesus says to believe in me, it's not a suggestion, it's a command. If you want your heart to be free of trouble, you must trust me. Believe in the one who is an omnipotent, who is all-powerful, who is omniscient, all-knowing, who is omnipresent, all-present God of the universe. Believe in the Savior who is the same today, yesterday, and forever. 
Jesus is telling his disciples and he's telling us to trust him. Trust the one who fed the 5,000 with a happy meal. Trust the one who walked on water. Trust the one who calmed the storm with a few words. Trust the one who raised Lazarus from the dead. Look back at his past faithfulness in your life and trust him to be faithful to you in the days to come. Will you trust him in these moments? You know, for many of us, this makes us very uncomfortable. That just like those in the Bible, oftentimes when, when God calls them to great trust, the response is not yes. The response is, well, God, can you give a little bit more proof? Can you make this fleece wet? Uh, can, can you give another miracle? Uh, can you give a couple of more practical steps? You know, this is why for some of us during this time, instead of reading the Bible, we're reading blogs or books that are titled 10 Steps to Cure an Anxious Heart or 20 Steps to Freedom. Do you know what you're doing here? You are trying to control the situation again, or even worse, you're trying to control God. In these verses, Jesus doesn't first give us the practical and tangible here. He gives us even better. He is giving us his eternal word, the Bible, and his son, Jesus Christ. Will that be enough for you? Will you trust him? You know, there's a story of a man who walked too close to the edge of the Grand Canyon and fell off. And the only thing that was keeping him from falling into a deep chasm was a branch that he was hanging on to. So as he's hanging on to this branch, he shouts up, anybody out there? Can anybody help me? And he hears a powerful voice say, yes, I'm here. I can save you. Do you believe me? Yes, Lord, I believe you. Yes, I do. Do you have faith? I have strong faith in you. Then let go and you will be fine. After a tense moment, the man shouts, Is there anyone else up there who can help me? Anyone else up there? Now, this is a really silly story, but there's a very important application to this. There will come a point in our lives when we will be in the thick of the mess, and you will have to learn to let go. You will have to learn what it means to stop looking elsewhere for help. And I'm not just talking to those who, who are already empty-handed during the season. They're already desperate. They're already in poverty. They're, already, they're experiencing poor in spirit. They know this. They're learning this lesson. I actually want to speak to those who still have a lot in their hands. That during this COVID-19, you know what? It's been a little bit inconvenient, but it hasn't been all that bad for you that you look at your nice nest egg in your savings account, that you're convinced of your job security, your seniority in the office, your marketable skills. You look at the premium medical insurance that you have, or you see your parents or your spouse, and you know that they have the resources to cover you no matter what might happen to you. You right now are no different than that man on the ledge. You're looking everywhere else for help, but God, that is not Jesus securing you, but stuff. The one thing COVID-19 has shown us is that we don't have control over the future, nor do we have control of last week, nor do we have control a month ago before the virus. All these two weeks have done is has just made us aware of the reality that we were never, ever in control. If you want your heart to be free of trouble, believe Jesus and who he says he is. 
Faith is what stops fear. Worship is what quiets worry. Jesus commands his disciples. He commands you and me not to be troubled. Why? It's because Jesus took our greatest trouble of sin and death to the cross. The reason Jesus could tell his disciples not to be troubled was only because he allowed trouble to land on his own heart. And if Christ took on the trouble of the cross for us, he will take on the trouble of COVID-19 from you. Will you transfer it to him? When Jesus suffers a troubled heart, he does so to show you how much he loves you because he identifies with you. That the one who was troubled in his heart doesn't judge you, doesn't shame you. He is asking you to give him your burden. Every trouble is an opportunity to come to Jesus Christ. And here's the third point. Jesus shows us where we are going. You know, about a week ago, a viral Instagram post came out from Gal Gadot. She plays Wonder Woman in the movies. And in, the, in this Instagram post, her and her celebrity friends wanted to bring comfort to the world by singing the song, the John Lennon song, Imagine. And let me just show this to you here. Now, if you're not familiar with this song, here are the opening lyrics to the song. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Now, this song and these celebrities were trying to offer hope by saying, imagine there is no eternity. Have hope and imagine that there is no heaven. It's easy if you try. Can I just say that this is exactly the opposite of how Jesus comforts us here. He says that if you want your hearts to be free of trouble, he gives us the promise, the best is yet to come. He tells his disciples not to be troubled. And notice here, notice here, that when he tells his disciples not to be troubled in John chapter 14, the circumstances later on do not change. It's not as though he's not going to be arrested. He will be arrested. He's still going to be betrayed. He's still going to be crucified. He's still going to die. None of the circumstances change. The reason Jesus says that their hearts can be free of trouble is not the hope in the circumstances to change or the hope that COVID-19 will go away next week or in three months or in six months. The reason our hearts can be free of trouble is because we know the best is yet to come. It's yet to come. This world is not our home. Scripture says that we are ambassadors of a different land, that we are pilgrims on our way to our real home, that this life is just the journey to get there. Now, what does this home look like? Jesus says this in verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Our eternity as Christ followers will be to live in the Father's house. Now, often there's a misunderstanding here about what Jesus means by rooms. For example, in the King James Version, it translates this, this verse by saying, In my Father's house, there are many mansions. Now, we hear that and we think, man, that sounds great. I'm going to have a mansion and acres and acres of land. You know, here's my infinity pool, my tennis courts, my basketball courts. Okay, no, that, that is not what Jesus is saying here. We have to remember that when Jesus talks about a house with many rooms, he's not talking about 21st century homes. 
he's thinking about first century Middle Eastern homes. And let me just show you what I'm talking about here. You know, what you're going to see in this picture here are the foundational remains of cluster homes in Capernaum. That when Jesus talks about his father's house, he's talking about this massive estate where in the center of it is the father's house. That what would happen is that when the sons would get married, they would live with their parents. That they would build rooms attached to the central home, which was the father's house. And as more sons had more and more families, they would keep building more and more rooms, all connected to the father's house. So when Jesus tells us that we will have a room in the father's house, he's not so much emphasizing extravagance and luxury, but emphasizing closeness and belonging and acceptance. In addition, Jesus says here that he is preparing this place for us. And if any of you have ever experienced someone with the gift of hospitality, it's one of the most powerful ways to communicate love. Hospitality is all about thinking about the other person and doing everything to make them feel like they belong. And can I just say, my wife is so good at this. You know, a while ago, my brother and sister-in-law, who are from out of town, were going to stay at our house for a couple of days. And this is my brother. So I'm totally fine with giving him the very bare minimum. There's the couch. There's a blanket. They have running water. They're good to go. Now, my wife, she is completely different. She's organizing and cleaning the house. She wants to bring in the best bed sheets. She's going to the grocery store, stocking the fridge. She goes on Facebook to find out what they like and don't like stocking them. And every night, she's looking in the guest room and making sure that everything is prepared rightly. My wife wanted them to know, wanted my brother and sister-in-law to know that this room was not just for guests. This room was for them. Jesus is doing this for us. That this is a room where Jesus will show us that he knows our name. That he knows what we love. He knows our hearts. He prepares a place for me. That heaven is a place where you will belong. And this forces us to ask another question. Okay, I'm going to belong, but who am I going to belong to? Verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus promises that one day when he returns, he will do so to bring us to himself so that we can enjoy the presence of our Savior for all eternity. For Jesus, heaven here is not so much where you're going, but who you're going to be with. It's all about relationship. It's all about belonging to him. And is this not the goal of redemption? Is this not what God wanted in Genesis 1 and 2? To walk with him forever, free to delight in him, with no more death, no more sin, no more loss, no more jealousy, no more pride, no more suffering, no more injustice, no more sickness and viruses. The best is you yet to come. Notice as well in our verses, who bears all the responsibility of this promise of heaven? Jesus says two times, I will prepare a place for you. Not you will prepare a place, not we will prepare this place together. Jesus puts the preparation on himself. And in verse three, he says, I will take you to be with me. 
I will take you. Not you will earn your way to me. Not you will climb your way to me. Jesus himself will rescue us and bring us home. You know, to me, this is remarkable. Because keep in mind here that when Jesus gives this promise of heaven in chapter 4, verse 1, it's right after Peter has been rebuked for his arrogance and before Peter is going to deny him three times, there is still plenty of sin for Peter and the disciples to commit before Jesus is crucified. So how could Jesus, knowing all this disobedience, knowing all this betrayal and rejection to come, how is he still able to give them the promise of heaven? It's because his faithful love is not rooted in my perfection, it's rooted in his perfect character. It's that kind of certainty that can strengthen a troubled heart because this is a promise that can't be compromised. It can't be taken away by any virus that no matter how much my heart is troubled, when we are in Christ, it will not stop the promise of heaven because the promise of our future is not put on us. It is put on Christ alone. Friends, the hope we have in Christ is not that there will be no trouble in this world, but the hope is that we, that we have is in the new heavens and the new earth where there will be no more trouble, where there will be no more pains and problems, where we will walk with Jesus forever. That glorious day is our hope. The best is yet to come. Now, how does this play out in my life? Here's the application. You will help those who are in trouble. You know, in the beginning of John 13, we didn't read this, but when you have a chance, read John 13. And as you read the beginning of John 13, as Jesus faces his final moments, he doesn't indulge in himself and to maximize all his earthly pleasures. But what we read in John 13 is that he bends his knees and washes the feet of his disciples. It says in chapter 13, verse 1, that he loved his own, and he loved them to the end. Jesus knew that a greater day was coming, where he would be united with his Father and return in victory, and it's in this hope that freed him to love others with service. C.S. Lewis, a 19th century theologian, said this. So let me show it to you. Those Christians who did the most for the present world were those most thoughtful about the next. Church, when we know the best is yet to come, we don't need to worry like the world worries. We don't need to fear like the world fears. We don't need to live as like this life has to be our very best. Instead, we can live sacrificially because heaven is right on the other side. The best is yet to come. So during this time of the COVID-19 virus, rearrange your priorities. Don't waste it on things that won't last forever. Don't hunker down and close yourself to others and watch Netflix all day. Instead, spend this time loving people, praying for people, put your money in people, put your time in people, meet their needs, sacrifice for them, comfort them, bring them to Jesus so that they too can share a place in the Father's house. Church, I don't know how long all of this is going to last. It is bad right now, and everyone is saying that it's only going to get worse here in the States, and potentially this can go way longer than any of us imagine. 
But our ultimate hope is not that the virus will go away. Our hope is not in better circumstances. Our unshakable hope is that when we put our trust in Christ, the best is yet to come. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we thank you that the promise of heaven is not rooted in ourselves, but that, Father, it is rooted in your Son, who is God, in your Son, who conquered the grave, in your Son, who conquered sin, Satan, and death. Father, it's in him we place our trust. Father, for many of us, for myself included, who wrestle with troubled hearts, who wrestle with what it means to really lay it all before you, to really trust you with everything in our lives, Father, would you help us? Would you guide us in your word? Would you guide us through prayer to know how to do that well? So that, Father, we can experience the freedom and peace that comes by being in Christ, by abiding in him. Father, wherever we're at, God, in our homes, in whatever neighborhood, whatever city that we're watching this from, God, help us to be people who live what the best is yet to come. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Friends, it was good spending this morning with you. As you head out, let me just say this blessing to you from Romans 15, 13. And it says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of Holy Spirit may also abound in hope for you. You are loved. Have a great week.